I want to let you know that I have never been arrested. I have spent some time in jail, but that's because my dad was the chief of police, and I thought it was pretty cool to hang around in the jail cell. That was when I was younger. But I think most of you, even some of you may have been in there, uh, most of you, just from watching cop shows on TV, uh, are, are familiar with the, the statement, you have a right to remain silent. Anything that you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. It's the first part of the Miranda rights. It is part of our Fifth Amendment constitutional guarantee of protection against self-recrimination. And that's probably the biggest word I'm going to use in the message today, so you're good. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have the right to remain silent. You have the option to do it. You have the option to keep quiet about your faith until absolutely no one, to be a secret disciple. You have the option to do that. But what I want to convince you today is that you don't have the right to do it. Because of who you are in Christ, because of what God has done for you in Jesus, and because of the desperate plight of the world, you may have the option to keep silent, but you don't have the right to remain silent. In Matthew 28, we find what is called the Great Commission. It tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's not a suggestion. It's not given as as an option out of many things that you can do. These were the marching orders that Jesus gave to the church prior to his ascension into heaven. I don't know about you, but if if you had a, a, a dying parent or grandparent who called you to the bedside and said, hey, listen, this is what I want to tell you before I leave this world. Those words would be etched in your mind and your heart, and they would be inescapable. These are the words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. Go and make disciples. These words should be etched in our hearts and etched in our minds and and determine the course of our lives. And so this morning... I want to ask you a simple question. Are you ready to tell somebody? Are you ready to move out of your comfort zone? And and maybe for you, that next step is telling somebody. Letting them know what Jesus has done for you and, and what he can do for them. Are you ready to speak a word to a family member, to, to a neighbor, to a friend, to a coworker, to a fellow student? To a total stranger. A word that could lead them to eternal life. Are you ready to tell somebody? Now I know what's going through your mind because it goes through my mind as well. There are all kinds of reasons why I can't tell somebody. Now I could get a microphone and walk out, but but I got a feeling I'm going to hit on a number of you right now. And you're going to say, yep, that's me. First of all, I don't know enough. I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not knowledgeable. I don't know enough Bible in order to tell somebody. I don't know the right scripture verses in order to tell somebody. Now, if you've been using that excuse for more than 12 months, then the problem is you. Because this is here. I mean, if that's really standing in the way of you telling somebody, then may I suggest you fix it. 
that you get enough in you or write down enough or underline enough in your Bible that you could tell somebody. For some of you, you may go, well, you know what? I I might get a question I can't answer. Well, join the club. I get questions like that all the time. Believe me, I am not omniscient. I don't know it all. And there are times where, you know, I have to just say, you know what? That's a hard question. And I'm afraid I can't answer that for you right now. Is that the only thing that's standing in your way of coming to Christ? And for some people it is, but for other people, they're just throwing a a roadblock, a smoke screen. It's not really that big of a deal. They're just trying to get you off base. Maybe maybe your, your reason is, you know, I'm just, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. And let me tell you, there are a bunch of introverts in here. And some of them, you wouldn't even know it because they work really hard not to be an introvert. But when they get around people that they're not comfortable with, then, then they really start to, to close in. And, and you know what? God can use introverts. Personally, I believe Moses was an introvert. I don't, I don't think he was an extrovert. I think Moses kind of enjoyed following those sheep around. There, there are times that, that, that I need that because do you, you want to know something? I'm an introvert. I really am. At heart, I'm an introvert. I have to work really, really hard not to be. There are times you just want to shut down. So I understand. For some of you, it may be that I don't want to offend anybody. And, And here's the deal. I don't want you to offend anybody either. But if the gospel is offensive, that's not your problem. Okay? You don't need to be offensive. If the gospel offends, that's one thing. But all you need to do is to tell. Maybe, maybe, you know, <laughs> you may say, and I've heard this before, that's what we pay the preacher for. Um, I, just one simple word answer to that. Lame. Okay? That's a lame answer. That's not what you pay me for. We'll discover that as we go along. And then the, the one that I think I've heard that I really... I have a great deal of sympathy for this one. What if I mess it up? What if I say something and I turn that person off to Jesus? Okay, I have a great deal of sympathy for that one. But I want to let you know, whenever you're talking to someone about Jesus, God's in control, not you. And so you got there's a certain level of trust that comes with that. So, so there are lots of reasons why it's difficult in order for us to get out of that shell and tell somebody else about Jesus. And so when I answer the, ask the question, are you ready to tell somebody, you may go, yes, I'm ready. But there's a big difference between ready, being ready and doing it. And so today we want to move, we want to get that shift. And so what I'd like to do is call your attention to some verses in Romans chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, I'll encourage you to turn there. Uh, You may want to write, uh, you know, underline, highlight some things, Romans chapter 10. For those of you that are looking for Romans, it is in the New Testament. It is beyond the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just keep going. Then you run into a book called Acts, that's nobody's name. And then into Romans. Romans chapter 10. 
We're going to look at verses 9 through 15. Now, all of this chapter is good for us to read, but this is going to be our point of of focus this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. To declare that Jesus is Lord is to make an outward statement based on an inward, inner conviction. That Jesus shares the name and the nature, the holiness, the authority, power, majesty, the eternity of the one and only true God. When we say Jesus is Lord, when we believe that God has raised him from the dead, we're doing more than just repeating a, some kind of, of creed. We're doing more than just, just uttering empty words. And it goes beyond just believing in God. I mean, you get a lot of people say, I believe in God. Over 90% of Americans say, I believe in God. And Jesus said, well, great. Even the demons believe in God. Big whoop. Well, he didn't actually say big whoop. But he said, they believe in God and they tremble at the thought of him. Okay, so I believe in God. It's not enough. What is enough? You see, when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, what are we saying? We're saying that Jesus is who he is, not who we want him to be. That Jesus is who he is, not what we hear out in culture. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God to send a Messiah, a Savior, one who would be crucified, buried, resurrected, and risen. When we say, I believe in God, when we confess it with our mouths, we're saying, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is more than a man. He is more than a prophet. He is God walking on earth. Not everybody who says, I believe in God, would go that far. And not everybody that says, I believe in Jesus, would even go that far. Here's what scripture tells us. it, It makes it abundantly clear for us. Salvation comes to those and only those who confess and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible doesn't give us any other options 
This is not a multiple choice question. We won't get to heaven and be given a sheet and said, okay, which which one of these guys did you believe in? Great, come on in. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know that's uncomfortable for a lot of people because it sounds so exclusive. But in fact, what we read in the passage today tells us just how inclusive God is. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's inclusive, isn't it? It's not exclusive. It's only exclusive in that we can't make up the God on whom we call, the Savior on whom we call. We're not saved by going to church. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to church. In fact, there's everything right with it. And in Scripture, we're called to to gather together with believers. But that didn't save us. And we're not saved by going through certain rituals. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. A couple weeks ago, we had baptism. None of that saves anybody. We're not saved because we're born into a certain race into a certain culture, or even because our mom and dad, grandparents were believers. This is what the Bible tells us about being saved. We do not earn our righteousness. We receive it. We don't earn it. We receive it. It is by grace, God's gift, that you're saved through faith, and this is not something you do yourself. It's a gift from God, and it's not by works so that no one can boast about it. When I get to heaven, I, I have nothing. On, I, I will not be going in there and go, okay, God, you got to let me in. Look how good I've been. D- did you hear me preach on Sundays? No, when I get up there, the the only plea that I have before the throne of God is, Jesus died for me. That's it. That's all I got. The good news is, it's more than enough. Is that all you got? It's more than enough. Because we're saved by God's grace through faith. And our faith is an inward belief with an outward belief expression that leads to eternal life it's inward but we express it outwardly i love the video we just showed because that's what that was about it was not just you know me and me and jesus it's not just me and my personal jesus if i belong to jesus if he is my savior and lord it will have an outward expression in my life somehow some way the word saved literally means to be delivered from great peril that's what we see in john 3:16 for god loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are delivered from great peril, that perishing, but we are delivered to eternal life in Christ. And in the passage we just read, God gave us a a precious promise. Don't, Don't belittle this. If we believe in His Son, we will not be put to shame. 
we believe in His Son, we will not be put to shame. We're told that there's a time coming when at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a time when everybody, everybody, from all times and all places, when everybody is going to have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? It's not going to be an option. Now, there'll be people who will do so with great gratitude and joy, and I pray that you're among them. When we kneel down and acknowledge Jesus as Lord, it will be in worship. But there will be others whose knee will bow with great reluctance and eternal sorrow. For they have either neglected Him or rejected Him in this life. They didn't believe that He was who He said He was. There's going to come a time, the Bible says, when everybody's going to have to acknowledge what is true. And when we say that, that should give you reason to rejoice if you're a believer. But it should also break your heart because you know people who aren't. What motivated Jody in many ways was looking at statistics, looking at the numbers of children and what happened to them if they don't get the love and care and nurture and environment that they need growing up. Recent statistics said that 93% of people in the United States consider themselves Christian. Gallup surveys show that about 40% of people on any given Sunday are in a worship service. Studies that were done that actually showed attendance, people went back and studied attendance records, show that about 20% of people on any given Sunday are in worship services. Now the South throws the curve off, Okay. But in the United States, about 20% of the people are in any worship service and anywhere on any given Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean they're in or they're out. That's just evidence of what priorities are. But let's just say that 93% of Americans who are self-professed Christians, if that was a reality, can I ask you a simple question? Would our country look like it does if 93% of us were really believers? I don't think so. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm in. Me and Jesus, we hang. But it's a lot different to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, to confess with your mouth. It's a lot more difficult. The offer of salvation to Jesus, if we want to trust Scripture, is open. The door's door's open. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And listen, I don't care what spectrum you are on on whether you believe in predestination or free will or whether you're somewhere in the middle or you don't have any decision on it at all. Here's the deal. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nothing we can do to change that. That's the reality of it. So whether they were predestined to it or they chose it, we don't even need to argue about that. What we need to focus on is the reality of this sentence. There are no fancy Greek words in it to throw you off. There's there's nothing in here I need to explain to you. What you see is what you get. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that means that those who don't, won't. Our motivation should not simply to be to come and enjoy one another and enjoy our salvation and to, and to plan our time in the sweet by and by. Our motivation should be to look around us. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. These are my coworkers. These kids go to school with me. And they don't know Jesus. And they don't have the same eternity I do. So having laid out this this foundation of what it means to to believe in Jesus, to confess Him as as Savior and Lord, then, then Paul lays out a logical argument. Did you get this? Look at it. How then can they call on the name of one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so basically, here's what Paul is saying. People can't call in the name of Jesus if they haven't heard of Jesus. And they can't hear about Jesus without someone telling them or the word that we have here is preaching to them. And for some of you, you just wipe the sweat off your brow and go, wow. Pastor, I'm so glad you said that because it says preaching and I don't preach. So I'm off the hook on this. No, you aren't. Okay, the word means a herald. A herald is one who speaks on behalf of someone else. You may remember if you've studied any American history or European history, there was a time when uh, before uh, CNN and Fox News, (laughs) we had town criers. Town criers would go around with a bell in one hand, getting people's attention, and they would basically give them the headlines. They were headline news way ahead of time. And they would tell them, this is the important message. I need to tell you, ding a ling a ling a ling hey, listen to me. Crowd gathers around. Here are the headlines. Here are the important things. This is what I've been entrusted to tell to you. And I'm here to tell you today that you are the herald. You are the town crier. And whether you stand up here in a pulpit or not, you are a preacher. You are one who has been given a message to be shared with others. But you say, well, wait a minute. It says, but what about being sent? So obviously that's referring to missionaries. I'm not a missionary. That that means it's not my job. Well, the reality is, if you're a Christian, then you have been sent. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Go and make disciples. That's what Acts 1.8 is all about. You will be my witnesses. It's what 1 Peter 3.15 is all about. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. 
about the reason for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. John was kind of timid, maybe a little like you, an introvert. And he went to his weekly Bible study of men and it was his turn to give the devotional. He was scared. His knees were knocking, his hands were shaking, his palms were sweaty. He walked up to the front and he turned around and he faced everybody and he asked him a question. He said, do you know what I'm going to say this morning? And in unison, his group trying to be supportive said, no. And so he said, well, neither do I. And he ran out the door. The next, next week he shows back up at his Bible study and they say, listen, John, you're on again, man, until you get this right. You're, you're up. So when it came time for the devotional, John walks up there again, and he asks the same question. He says, do you know what I'm going to say? Well, this time they thought about it and said, well, if we say no, we know what's going to happen. And so they, say, they, they just said in unison, yes. And he walks off, and he says, well, that's good, because I then I don't need to tell you. Well, the next week he comes in, and they go, hey, John, man, you got to get this thing right. Come on back up here. It's your turn again. Now, they've been talking about this all during the week. They say, well, if we said no, we say yes. What, what are we going to say? They really didn't know what they were going to do. So he steps up and he asks the same question again. He says, do you know what I'm going to say? And, and in unison, half of them said yes and half of them said no. So John looks at them and he says to them, then those who know tell those who don't know. And he walked out. But quite honestly, that's my message to you this morning. And that's the scriptural message to you this morning. Those who know, tell those who don't know. Tell that family member. Tell that friend. Tell that person who works in the same office with you, who works out in the field with you. Tell Tell that boy or girl who sits in the same class with you. Tell the person who lives down the street. Tell the person you meet in line at Ingalls. Our call is really simple. Those who know. Tell those who don't.